Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're so excited to be here today. Coming to you live from the Hotel Andre in downtown Seattle, the beautiful cooking studios of the Hot Stove Society Culinary School. Most magnificent place to come and learn something to cook. I know, it's super fun. You can always come get on a class. You can rent us out for a a corporate event. We do all sorts of cool stuff. Catering. we're, We're just in it. We're in it to win it. Oh, you can come here every Thursday morning and watch two funny guys... Do a radio show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we do that on Thursdays from 9 to 11. You can also see us on YouTube. If you go to the Tom Douglas & Co. channel, you can find us, uh, find the show. And if you miss it, uh, you can watch us from a year ago if you wanted to. I it's think. really worth it. Yes. We invite you to join us for breakfast. Uh, right now, our guests are enjoying a lovely blueberry muffin with... Uh, Annie, where'd you get the blueberries from? Charlie's Produce uh, blueberry muffin. We are celebrating some classes that are coming up. I'm doing a salmon class here uh, on august uh, 25th we're going to break down everyone every two people get their own salmon like a three or four pound salmon and we're going to uh, fillet it and then we're going to make different pieces different ideas from the salmon that should be a very fun yeah, class to be it's going to be fun we also have a sum, uh, southern summer class coming up on august 19th making summer cocktails uh, from the south and a fresh summer pasta sauces on august 22nd you know some a lot of times it's funny to come to a place with all these stoves and start to cook in the summertime a lot of times you don't have to cook right that's right For, don't turn raw it on. tomato sauce uh fresh corn just chucked right off the cob let some vinegars or let some uh, citric acid do your cooking for you and some fresh herb puree fresh herbs yeah exactly some salsa verde yeah. or stuff like that today on the show we're very excited up in our neighborhood up in crown hill blue ridge uh, loyal heights uh, north ballard whatever you want to call that area there's a new metropolitan market opening uh, to join uh, we shop at the ballard market at uh, uh, QFC down there on Holman Road, the Shoreline Central Market, uh, which is now called Town & Country, right? Ballard Market's Town & Country. But now a new one into the mix, the Met Market is coming. And uh, my pal Mark Takagi, who I first worked with in 1980 at McCormick's Restaurant in downtown Seattle. Wow. uh, He's going to come in and talk about what it takes to open a modern grocery store. You know, it's not like uh, the AMP that we used to go to as a kid, right? They're, they're literally food courts uh, on steroids. It's a lot more complicated than they used to be, for yeah, sure. Yeah, different, different things that you need to offer at a modern grocery. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Julia Child's birthday celebration. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, our, our birthday event here on the 15th of August. I want to say it's the 15th. Sold out in two days. 125 people. But I kept two tickets aside to give away today on the show. Uh, in our Julia Child segment, so looking forward to that. Two lucky people will so get nice into a sold-out event. I know. <laughs> you, you do the best, Julia, because you have that little bit of a fake accent, that little yeah. fake French accent that you Ooh, have. Oh, I love my poulet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk a little Tomatillo. My, our friend, uh, our neighbor over at Prosser Farm, Mr. Garcia, I, I was walking the, the perimeter of our farm, and looked over the fence, and there's this mound of green that's happening in his. I looked over, and sure enough, it was a huge mound of tomatillos. They're so easy to grow, mm-hmm. and I just don't think people use them very much. And they make great salsas, great sauces. They're just a product that is perfect this time of year, 
Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about how to it's utilize. Good, definitely good time. Mr. Garcia's tomatillos. <laughs> we just kind of reached through the fence just a little bit. <laughs> and I'm sure some go over the fence, too. Our uh, Charlie's Produce Partners uh, Cultivation of Fresh segment. We're going to talk tomatoes, tomatillos and tomatoes today. It's that time of year. Julia's stories with Tom and Cherry. I'm sure you have quite a few, Chef. Uh, yes, I have a few. And yeah. we're gonna it's t- just, she's just, she'll never go away from her memory. I mean, she's. Ah, she's an impact. She's dynamic. She's high impact. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to have a dedicated on our trivia today, a dedicated Julia question. So you better be up to snuff on some Julia facts. Uh, <laughs> Taste of the week, chef. What do you think? I think Lock Restaurant. Uh-huh. went to visit last night for um, our anniversary, as I said. I would love to see more people in that restaurant to go visit because they're surrounded by very uh, street work and various street work, Madison redoing and all that. And it's definitely looking very painful in terms of access. And it's too bad because it's a beautiful restaurant. The food is delicious. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere is fantastic. Great dining, little experience. And everything was delicious and on par. And so I just would encourage everybody to make a stop and go to Lark. Only because John has been around for a very long time and Kelly over there and they're doing a great job. And they, I think... They just need to be remembered. They're just like everybody else. You get older I and know. Uh, you're I on know. the back shelf and people, you know, they need to dust the front to uh, be able to get to the back of the shelf. When was the last time you saw an article in the Seattle Times about 10 old restaurants? <laughs> it's always the 10 the hottest new yeah, restaurants. of course. Yeah. And we, we certainly benefited from that when we first of opened. Course, of course. And that's just the nature of dining, uh, restaurant dining, because it's... Uh, it's a very showy, it's almost like theater kind of business, right? right so right. The, the hot new show or hot new restaurant is what gets the attention sometimes. So, But well-attended food, delicious, well-seasoned. You know, there's uh, another one up there in that area that I love, uh, Tamara Murphy's oh, yeah, place, Tamara, Terra yeah. Plata. Same thing. She's uh, been around for a long time. And, yeah, that's you know, a delicious a restaurant job. too, yeah. And the Harvest Vine, you know, those places, and all those places have been around for 25, 30 years and uh-huh. they're still doing great, so... Go take one of your old favorite and remember what they are and go visit them. Because I think those, those need a little help too right now. My taste of the week is uh, my wife Jackie is a huge fan of a guilty pleasure of ice cream sandwiches. And so she has been working on uh, around the different grocery stores. Like, you know, whether it's Met Market or Whole Foods. Like Whole Foods has a house brand 365 ice cream sandwich. She brought one from the Aldine, Aldine Bakery or Aldine Creamery yesterday, which had a crispier cookie and a nice vanilla ice cream. But it was the, the ice cream was a little bit too chalky for me. But anyway, so we've been she's been trying these ice cream sandwiches because she's just a fiend for them. She's a good baker. She's not trying to make it herself. It's, it's you know, sometimes you just got to go for it. I know I you don't understand this. It's not in your culture, but trashy food is good sometimes. She's got to go for of it. Course. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah, first you have the barbecue potato chips, and then you have an ice cream sandwich. It's okay. Yes, as long as you keep uh, anyway, walking. Anyway, it turns out her favorite is the 365 from Whole Foods. Oh, wow. Brand. You know, it's like their house brand. Sure. So just in case you're an ice cream sandwich, you've got to go out there and try what it about for you? yourself. Did you think that was uh, worth it? Uh, I eat them before they even melt. She, like, sits there and waits for them to get the perfect texture. Oh, yeah, it would be more like that, she's, too. Yeah, she's like you. She's right. Yeah, exactly. She's right. Your wife so is always I just right. Eat anyway. them. They're so frozen solid, I couldn't taste them anyway. So That's our first <laughs> that open. That sounds typical. It does. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark Takagi is going to join us now from the Metropolitan Markets to talk about his new Crown Hill store on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. You know what I mean? Girl, you 
We're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you're having fun in your garden or your kitchen or your car or wherever you happen to be. Mark is here from Metropolitan Markets. Uh, Mark and I worked together at McCormick's Restaurant in 1980 or so when I was selling wine and cooking on the line at McCormick's. I was selling wine for diversified wine imports at the time. Wow. And Mark was, was a hound dog on the floor just uh, working with... Uh, punk rock and and the the whole crew that was at mccormick's at that time so uh welcome old now they're all old now we are all old (laughs) come right up to that mic mark all right okay so you're opening a new metropolitan market you know you guys are kind of the gold standard of fancy markets around this town and i was thinking the other day you know i've been driving by it for a year now under construction and i was thinking about god the the difference of opening a market today compared to an old Safeway days, you know, or old QFC or any, even the old Met market, you know, you guys kind of started the trend, but it's, it's like opening a food court anymore rather than just a grocery store. How do you manage all the different facets? I know you're just in one part of it, but you, you, you talk to the team. Well, just staying ahead of the game. I mean, the trends are just, um, incre- they're, they're happening fast, just yes. like the whole world is. Yeah. So, I mean, we are so reliant on people like you and restaurants to mm-hmm. set those trends. Mm-hmm. And our uh, guests are the same people who visit the often the, the, the restaurant business. And right. so we're keeping a keen eye to what's going on in the restaurant business, whether it's food, uh, you know, regional, uh, wines, you name it. It all happens there first. Uh-huh. So that's important. And uh, just listening to our guests and what they really want. They vote by what they buy. Right, for sure. So we can't force habits, and especially as uh, the mainstay of our uh, uh, guest base are aging. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to envelop all the new, younger people that are, you know, it's, it's different. I mean, you've got younger uh, people in your family and you know, they, they're different than we are. So, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, when I was growing up, center of the grocery store was a more important place than it is today. Now it seems like the outside ring of the grocery store, which is fresh produce and meat, fish, uh, and then oftentimes uh, fancy cookingware products or, or th- things like that are really the mainstay, not only for the customers, but for your margins too. Tell us about what's happening in metropolitan markets today when we have chats on the show or favorite taste of the week or something half the time terry is talking about something that he picked up at the met market on mercer island uh tell us about staying on grocery trends and you brought a box of what my one of my favorite times of the year at the met market is is picho rama time yeah i think you know when it comes down to it it's important for uh most consumers quality and also uh you know regionality provenance of a product you know they want to know all of that um and so staying on board there is really where we have to hang our hat i mean we are not a, a national chain that can be you know make decisions out of somewhere outside of our area we're we're listening to our guests yeah and, you guys uh, you guys do a very good job at bringing the local product out you know you do you do a very very terrific job at that I mean, right now like you said it's the peach but you know before the peach you had the strawberries you had the cherries you had so many different levels the blueberry so it's very cool to watch all the different different time of 
the month or throughout the summer to see all the different farmers and different part of Washington that shows up. Yeah, I think being local is a, and being nimble is really the, the secret. And right. we can work with our growers, you know, like the peaches. As we all know, it's been kind of, what, 20-plus years we've been doing this. Right. You know, they're picked at, uh, you know, high sugar bricks levels and uh, hand-packed at, in the fields in one layer. You know, I, re- not- I remember the first time that Rowley worked walked into Grover's Kitchen. John Rowley. Oh, John yeah. Rowley with a peach and a... And a um, refactorometer. A refactorometer. And <laughs> it's like, did you, know, did you see these, these peaches? They're like 17 bricks. And I was like, 17 bricks? That's super high. I'm like... That's like simple syrup. I know. It's like, <laughs> and then I tried the peach. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah I remember. Bringing back childhood memories, you know, the juice yeah. running down your face. Uh-huh. Of course. Because you know, you're yeah. eating it, you know, not these dry, pithy... You know, yeah, this is very special to be able to today in today's life in an urban setting to get a pitch that perfect or that close to perfection, like almost for falling off a tree. That's very, very hard to do. It's an experience. And of course. I think we're all living these days for experiences yeah. anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to live in, a, in the middle of a downtown of Seattle experiencing what the guy sitting in Yakama is having in his field. Well, that's great, but something's going to give. <laughs> so Met Market goes over there, pick it up, bring it in. Yep. So what is your particular job at my, what, what part of the store do you cover? Well, these days I'm wine, beer, and spirits category manager, so uh-huh. focusing on the uh, adult beverages, if you right. will. Right, which is what I just poured in my glass here. You brought with you what is some that? Picho Rama sour, barrel-aged sour ale. I'm glad there uh, is the word sour in there. Yeah, it's definitely sour. We work uh, with Urban uh, Family Brewery, and they kind of specialize in barrel uh, uh, sour ale. So actually made with our uh, peaches from last year. This is our third year of working with them. Uh And so we uh, bring them down a pallet of our peaches, usually in the fall. We usually go with a later harvest uh, peach, um, and uh, they make it for us and uh, uh, barrel age it and then uh, bottle condition it. You know, so this started a year ago, and uh-huh. so now it just was released. So very limited time. So um, this sounds like it would be good for my guts. Yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like I'm <laughs> drinking. <laughs> feel like I'm drinking, drinking for your health, kombucha, right? hard kombucha, uh, yeah. hot kombucha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is like this is definitely sour, and it's not for the faint of heart. Most yeah. most people love sugar, so you know, bring some honey. You know, a lot of our listeners live in the area where I live, up by the new store. Are there any things we can look forward to that are? Uh, new, like, little secret things that we should uh, be aware of that are coming? Well, you know, we keep learning from our uh, previous store openings, Mm -hmm. so we're always trying to introduce new concepts, and a lot has changed since the last couple of years, since we opened our Gig Harbor store. Uh, As you well know, things are, as mentioned, happening at light speed. So there's going to be some interesting uh, uh, new concepts, like we're going to make to order salads instead of salad bar. Right. Um, there's just some different things that the world changed. So we're adapting to the shopper's needs. Yeah. yeah. So excited to have you. Yeah. The uh, Last week when uh, during the Charlie segment, we talked about all the hatch chili roastings that are happening at the, I think it's the Mercer Island. Yeah, Mercer uh, Island. All the stores. All actually, the stores yeah. getting yeah. a rotation of that. Yeah. So And we've worked those hatches into a lot of our, like our, Cornbread and uh, different our sausages. I know I've had thing. the hatch brought. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. cheese, so so tasty, trashy good. I like to say that's my <laughs> highest compliment, by the way. Oh, good, trashy good. Yeah, Terry knows it is a very high compliment. <laughs> I mean, from Tom, that's like if you get the logo "trashy good" on your food, 
You're doing great. All right. <laughs> well, we've been talking with Mark Takagi, uh, an old pal who I used to work with at McCormick's uh, a million years ago. The good news is you are older than I am. I just had a birthday, and you're still older than I am. <laughs> look, look forward to the new store up there on Crown Hill, 85th and, and 15th. 15th. Northwest, yeah, North And you just have to go. There's a Walgreens literally at the corner of 85th, right. and there's a Safeway on the opposite corner of Walgreens. So just another 10 car lengths north on Holman Road there where right. 15th turns into Holman and you're at the Met Market. If you've gone to the grocery outlet, you've really gone too far. Is <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to say about that. Uh, I don't want to trash your grocery outlet, but I'm just saying go to the Met Market. Yeah. Yeah, instead. Up next, it's Julia Child's birthday. And we're going to have a menu of so many delicious things in our walkabout. What do you call the walkabout for Julia? I don't know. I What's... told you last week and of course you didn't. La, oh, La Promenade. La Promenade. Yeah. Uh, where we have different tastes of Julia. So we'll talk about that menu when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Supper's done and table's clear. Baby wants a bottle and I want a beer. Lord, I sure am glad I'm here where there's lots of love to share. And now clap hands and everybody sing. Dishes clang and the banjo ring. There's great. All right, here we are. It's the Hot Stove Society on Cairo Radio. Live, the audience has dug into their uh, blueberry muffin, and now they're trying a little bit of uh, Mark's uh, Picho Rama Sour Ale from uh, Urban Family. Chef, uh, you know that we have a Julia Child birthday celebration every year here at the Hot Stove. Uh, I put up the tickets maybe about two weeks ago or something like that. In two days, I mean, people love Julia. Of two course. days, the whole event was sold out, and it's a strollabout. And you call it a promenade. But there's another term for it, and I'm trying to think of it, but I'll, I'll get there. And in Promenade, basically, we're going to set up stations around the hot stove, maybe 10 different food stations. And each station is going to have a little something-something coming out. of My station is the duck with peaches, fresh peaches. Now we got for some free peaches. Canard au pêche. Canard au pêche. Yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's, if you look at the sheet that I handed you, we have a bunch of things on the menu. And I was hoping that you could help me uh, explain to people in the French terminology what it is that we're having at our stations. So one of the stations is, uh, is what? The first one. The one is uh, tomate et aubergine en persillade. So that mean, <laughs> means basically <laughs> tomato and eggplant and persillade, which is just chopped parsley, garlic, shallots, uh-huh. uh, fresh thyme. And uh, put that all over the tomato and the aubergine. With so olive oil? Olive oil. And uh, that's, that's usually a persillade. That's what a persillade consists of. And it's just baked like that? And then baked with a little breadcrumb usually. Uh-huh. And then you pick the whole thing like this. And it's almost like a little uh, vegetable gratin kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Where it, but it's light. It's very Provençal style. Yeah, when the, but it's light. But when I'm thinking French now, right? Oh. So it's going to be more cooked than what Correct. maybe we would think especially normally classic, about it. Especially classically. classically Today, right? no, as much. But yeah, in the old days, especially when Julia was teaching in the, in the 60s and 70s, those dishes were baked all the way. They were. So you're at 350 and you're baked for probably close to an hour, oh, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is like compote-like, you know, uh-huh. it's like... But because of the breadcrumb um, that's on top... And the persillade, it kind of stays together. So oh. 
you know, once you put your spoon through it, after it's been cooling off, after it came out of the oven, cooled off a little bit, and then you put your spoon through it and put that on Take your plate. Take a little helping. So there is definitely it's juicy because uh-huh. the tomatoes have rendered, and uh, the eggplant have swallowed some of that, so they both are very soggy. Right. And uh, the crustiness of the, of the gratin on top, you know, from the breadcrumb. All right, what's the next one? Uh, the next one is champignon farci. So stuffed mushroom, uh, mushroom caps, basically uh-huh. stuffed. And this one is with breadcrumb, cheese, and herb. So it's same kind of concept with uh, cheese added, uh, grated cheese added to the mix of the, the breadcrumb herbs, mix, right? The breadcrumb. But the mushrooms are dry roasted essentially compared Correct. to the uh, aubergine that we, we kind of Correct. baked. Correct. Yeah. The, the mushroom cap are just as is. And uh, usually a little bit of oil mixed with the whole thing and put that into the mushroom, put it in the oven, and then bake. Fine. Very simple. All right, next one. The next one is les tout nus. That means the all naked. Quenelle de boeuf provençal. So, the all naked? Yeah, the all naked. And I think that's a reference to the fact that it's not a sausage, but the stuffing without the casing. That's why they call it naked. Ah, okay. Yeah. I know some of this stuff, but I don't think our listeners might. No, of course. Know. Yeah. So um, the difference between a, a, a sausage and a, and a patty, for example, is the fact that you don't have any casing. So in this case, it's the same idea. You use a stuffing, and um, they make kernel out of it, which in, in this case is going to be another baked item where all the fuss of the uh, beef is going to be ground with some fat and put into a dish. Uh-huh. And then probably a sauce of either, and I'm not sure what the sauce is on. Oh, it says Provençal, right? Yeah. So Provençal, that would be toma- more tomatoes, herbs, uh, herbs, and everything. Garlic. And the whole thing is baked. Yeah. So it's another, and then it says green, so it's probably... Epinard. Epinard. Would be typical. Epinard would be very classic. Yeah. Yeah. Or spinach. Yeah. <laughs> spinach, yeah. For those who don't know, epinard is spinach. Yeah. All right, next one. Jalousie au fromage. So jalousie, it means jealous. So I don't know what that means exactly here. That I don't know. But um, it says peekaboo cheese tart. So peekaboo is obviously a cheese from peekaboo farm, right? I don't think so. I think peekaboo means like it's like peeking out of the tart. Oh, uh, got it. Uh, but the cheese tart is very classic. Again, uh, pâte brisée. And then, you know, cheese tart is onion, usually onions and cheese. Depends on where you are, what part of France. In some part, it's just cheese. And it's, again, baked. Uh, and, the, uh, the next one is, I think, one that Julia made famous around the country. Green beans almondine, yeah. yeah. She made that very famous. And back in the old days, back to the old days kind of story, uh, green beans back then were cooked to death. Yeah. I mean, they were blanched first, and then they were sautéed, and then they were, you know, whatever. Or, they, that, or then they were what my mother-in-law did, which was you open the can and then cook it for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we used to make those all the time. And in today's world, you would do those either... Quickly blanch like one minute in boiling water and then cool off, or you would just simply, if they were thin enough, just pan saute them <coughs> as is raw. Uh-huh. And then once they have a nice searing around them, you just throw in the almond, <coughs> lots of butter, almond, and uh, chopped parsley, and then toss the whole thing around salt, pepper, and that was. That's uh, my squeeze. favorite. Even if you put a lid on for a minute, uh, but getting the water out of cooking vegetables yeah. is really, in my mind, very important because you're just washing out vitamins and flavor. Right. And then squeeze a tiny bit of lemon on top at the last minute, toss the whole thing, and serve it. 
But you should get a little toast on those almonds when you're sauteing. Yeah, absolutely. But the brown butter will do that, just like when you do trot almondine, when you do all that, putting the butter in the pan when the pan is hot makes the butter melt really fast, Mm -hmm. turn brown really fast. So once you put the thin sliced almond in there, they color very fast. Yeah, you have to be careful. All right, next one. Uh, And by the way, all these things are different little stations here for her birthday promenade. Right. Salade de moule. Now, that's a very, very interesting dish. You don't see that very often here. A mussel salad. You know, mussels that have been cooked, taken out of the shell, cooled off, and then made into a salad with olive oil and fresh herb. I'm trying to think about what the uh, classic way of what sauce would they use for that. You could use many different things, but one that comes to mind is ravigot. When you do fresh herb, a little lemon, and hard boiled egg chopped into the sauce, and then you do that with the mussels, mm-hmm. and you put that, the mussel back in the shell, put a little sauce ravigot on top, and serve that as an appetizer. It's a very uh, delicious way to have a cold mussel. Um, again, that's not a common thing. We don't do that very often here. Mm-hmm. We usually do hot mussels, uh, but that's a classic Next one. Salmon on papillote. Now, that's a classic as well. Mm-hmm. Salmon on papillote is basically a nice piece of salmon wrapped in parchment paper. And you can add this time of year, usually basil, chives, you know, fresh herb, tarragon. Put that into there, salt, pepper. And you can keep it as simple as that, just a dash of white wine. Close the whole thing, put it in the oven and bake it that way. And it comes out absolutely delicious. And it's a principle of the steam, right? Uh, you know, the, the Asian steam pot basically i mean it's, it's the same kind of principle except that one is wrapped in parchment paper cooks extremely fast keeps all the flavor in there which is the beautiful thing about cooking in parchment is when you open that parchment it's exactly what it's supposed to be yeah like in a restaurant they'll bring it out in the parchment and then Correct. take a pair of scissors while it's in front of you and pop that open with a pair of scissors right. and yeah. yeah because okay. that's that's where all the flavors that um next one we talked a little bit about it's canneton au pêche canneton is a small duck and um with peaches i mean it's a very supposed to be a roasted duck so usually you roast the duck first until all the fat is rendered in the pan below and then you then you finish with the peaches and the peaches usually are done with a peach jam the peach jam right on top of the duck Bake it in the oven that way. That was a, a good way to do a canneton au pêche. And of course, on the side of that is uh, segments of peaches that you have caramelized a little bit. And you serve that, finish with a little red wine vinegar and put that around the, the duck, which is basically sweet and sour peaches with duck. Roast duck, yeah. yeah. All right, and the last one uh, is one of your favorites, I think, croquembouche. Croquembouche is what I made my wife, and that's how I got her. That's how you got her. I made her croquembouche, and she was like, holy cow. A croquembouche is when you make a bunch of pata, you, buy, you make patachou, which is a dough, uh, a soft dough. You pipe them on a, on, a, on a sheet pan, you bake it, and they become hollow a little bit on the inside. You stuff it with a pastry cream, you dunk them in a little caramel, and you mount them like a pyramid all together. It's pretty impressive when it's done. So, of course, I made that for my wife, and she's my wife for 37 37 years. 37 years now, exactly. All right, uh, there you go. That's uh, the Julia Child Promenade. Since it's hard to find a ticket, you you can live through the radio show. You can taste it through the radio show. Uh, Before the end of the show, we're going to give away two tickets to uh, some lucky listener who uh, might want to be able to come to our event with Julia because it's sold out, and this is the only way to get a couple of tickets. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society show. Next up... 
Southern Summer right here in the Hot Stove Kitchens on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. I'm a chicken fried, a cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right, and a radio. Here we are. We're back here in the hot stove kitchen. We're having a good time today. Uh, chef director here at Hot Stove Annie Elmore has jumped on the mic. She's got a big class coming up. We're very excited about uh, Southern cooking yep. and cocktails. Oh, yeah. And Julie is going to do the cocktails, uh-huh. who's the, the feisty one. If you think Annie's feisty, wait till you get a hold of oh, Julie. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Julie's going to do the cocktails. They are quite the, quite the team here at the hot stove. Everyone loves them. Annie, tell me about your Southern class. It's on uh, August 19th. Yes. Yeah. It's on a Saturday. This is our second one. We did the first one in July. Uh-huh. It was really great, and people were like, once you're done the second one coming out, and then so we did a second one. Uh, when Julie and I did this class or thought of doing this class, we were drinking rosé, sparkling rosé, out of the park while my kid was playing in the, on the play, playground out there. Nice. What a yeah. good mother you are. Yeah, I yeah. know. Number one, right? Yeah. Next to an elementary school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we like. Did okay. you at least have a brown paper bag over it, or did you have glassware out there? Oh, uh, I had it in my backpack, and we had a mason jar. <laughs> okay. Um, so we came up with um, a July class and then August class. So we were hoping that I'll do one appetizer, and then she would do a drink, so that way they have the drinks to, um, you know, too much Taste combo all the yeah, way through. So exactly. what are you making? So for this uh, one, we're doing tasso ham hush puppies. Sweet and salty maple butter. It's kind of like sweet and salty, you know. Type. So tasso is like a cayenne cured ham, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So this is more of a New Orleans inspired Creole, menu. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then buttermilk Cajun fried chicken. Julie loves red bean and rice. She uh-huh. went there a few years ago, and she couldn't stop talking about it. And she's like, I want beans and rice. I've never made it before, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, um, maybe <laughs> that's you, one way to get people. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you know, I've never made a lot of things, and it still turned out yeah. good. Well, buttermilk fried chicken is everyone's favorite. It oh, totally, like, and- yeah. Yeah, I love it too, but I love it too much. When I eat it, I tend to eat that one extra piece that I wasn't able to stop myself on, <laughs> and then I feel sick afterwards. I mean, yeah, that's what fried chicken does. Yeah. So, and then, uh, of course, you know, ham hock braised collard greens. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to steal your recipe from your book. You should. You know, it's pretty decent. I know. It's yeah. pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Is it smoked? Yeah, smoked ham, smoked hock. ham yeah. hock. Yeah, yeah, that's the best. But yeah. they're also braised. It's, you know, I make collard greens in lots of different ways, right? And you can. People don't realize that you can also quick if you like chiffonade them or something. Right. You can quick sear them. Mm-hmm. But there's you know there's a quality of silkiness when you braise them that yeah, I think is really absolutely yeah. in that ham liquor. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes away a little bit of that bitterness too. Mm-hmm. You know, from the smokiness from the ham. If you're bitter sensitive in that way, you simply give. Drop your greens into boiling water and pull them out and then braise them oh, in a different one. Yeah. That takes a lot of that bitterness away. So. I mean, I love the bitterness. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're bitter people. Exactly. That I'm ex- with that, you on that. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you got to have peach cobbler mm-hmm. in August. You know, mm-hmm. you can't make a menu without that. So uh, that and, you know, just vanilla whipped cream. Easy, easy summer 
meal. Uh huh. So does your cobbler have uh, a biscuit topping, or what is what are you using for your topping? I'm definitely gonna do a biscuit. Okay. I'm probably gonna steal the cereal pie, uh, cereal biscuit recipe, uh-huh. and put it on there. You know, there's two in the bakery book. One is a fine crumb, a biscuit, and one is a more southern style that. Uh, that we used for serious biscuit when we mm-hmm. had our biscuit restaurant. So. I think I'm going to use that one. Yeah. Yeah, and then Julie going to do pineapple sweet tea punch, a uh, classic um, sassarac, and then, of course, a cobbler cocktail, which um, we, I mean, right now there's still some really good berries that we've been buying, and we, she just freeze it and then puree and turn it into the cocktail. Super, oh. super delicious, and a lot of labor, but ro- oh. worth it, though. Yeah. Uh, it's people forget sometimes that all this fresh fruit can turn into a, a delicious evening beverage. Totally for adults. Yeah. This is a perfect time of year. <laughs> I just did this a couple of days ago. I bought too many berries, and I just throw them in the pot. In the pot, a little honey, bring yeah. it to a boil, cook it for about twenty minutes, put it in the blender, yeah. puree the whole thing, put it in the jar. I yeah. was going to bring it this morning, and I forgot it. Put it in the a jar. T- tell me about that. Put it in a jar and what? That's it. I didn't. I did not can it but i did extra than i did can so i put it in the jar put the lid on put it in boiling water for about 12 minutes bingo bango i got some some wonderful berry coolie or you could be a coolie a spread or whatever you want and uh, this cocktail win- ingredient whatever yeah. right this so, winter, yeah. you know you, you make a nice little olive, olive oil cake with some toasted pecan mm-hmm. and in the middle you just cut the cake in half and you put that spread in there mm. it'd be testing good the other thing you could do i know you do this with uh, your herbs sometimes is make ice cubes out of them. And so oh, yeah. And then you have, you don't have to can them, and you have the perfect size Correct. portion that you need instead right. of trying to thaw a quart jar of it. Exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely. Size it correctly so in your freezer, so when you take it out, you don't thaw out a gallon of something when you need one cup. Mm-hmm. Try to think ahead about how you're going to use the product, and then it's better to have... More small one than one big one that you need to use a small one from. Yeah. Yeah. So The big one, I mean, the only way to do it and get a part out is you have to thaw, literally thaw, and then the outside thaws, you try and get that off and right. you refreeze and it's just a mess. Yeah, it's yeah. not that good. Or you get smaller containers. Do it more containers smaller. Absolutely. Uh, my class, your class is on the 19th, so yeah. if people want to buy a ticket, they go to hotstovesociety.com. Yes. And my class is on the 26th of August, my salmon class. Yes. And the same thing, hotstovesociety.com. And we're going to have a fish for everyone to fillet, is that right? Yeah. So for every two people, something oh, like yeah, that? Oh, yeah, one fish per two people. Uh-huh. And then, you know, like one person can fillet one side, the other person uh-huh. can fillet the other side. We Are we a- going to have a first aid kit available? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, it's well stocked. <laughs> the paramedics and very sharp knives. Paramedics will be outside. <laughs> no, gonna, the paramedics will be at the bar. <laughs> yeah. We're going to teach everyone how to do a quick cure. Then you, after you do that quick cure, you can do a simple pear wood or, or peach wood chip smoke right in your wok. So we're mm. going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to make salmon cracklings out of the skin, mm-hmm. which is, let's just say you're making a salmon niçoise salad like we are for Julia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make a little crackling to garnish your niçoise salad. Uh, we could, uh, we're going to make a clear broth salmon curry, salmon head curry. So we're actually going to, if, if they come with heads on this time. Yeah, but if we'll the see. heads come, we're going to split the heads and make, uh, you just do a simple little uh, simmer. You don't even bring it to a boil and make a clear salmon broth uh, uh, curry with fresh mm. vegetables. I did that on the Iron Chef. That was one of my favorite dishes on our yeah. Iron Chef episode. It's really good. 
and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. We talked about doing a salt roasted filet too, right? Yeah. And, and when yeah. is your class, Tom? Mine is the uh, 26th of August. Are you coming, Chef? I'm coming. You can be my MC. You exactly. Can, uh, run, be, be, run Salmon the show. forever. Salmon forever. And of course, uh, I like to update the Pebble Mine situation. Yes. Yep. So, so far, it's been going in our favor. We appreciate that. All right, coming up in our second hour, Talking Tomatillos. Charlie's Produce is going to be, we're going to talk about tomatoes. It is tomato season. Uh, Julia Stories with Tom and Terry. And, of course, we're going to finish the show with our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. job way to get us started this audience needs motivation after that heavy breakfast that they just had that's right they're all asleep look at that <laughs> we've got a big uh, hour to come up here we're going to of course have our food for thought tasty trivia brought to you by rub with love spice rubs we've got um charlie's produce to talk about uh, tomatoes we are at the height of the season but there's some tricks about tomatoes that maybe we should all be aware of uh we've got um uh, julia stories I know this is Julia-centric, but Terry and I are big fans. Absolutely. And uh, we, we love her dearly, and it's her, I think, 111th birthday this month. So we're excited to, to actually share that with y'all. With y'all. And we have two tickets to give away today. And we're going to announce the criteria to win the two free tickets to our Julia Promenade uh, here shortly, during that segment. Cool. Can't during wait. The, during the story segment. And uh, we're going to jump right into now... Tomatillos. So we were over at the farm. Jackie and I, I've been going to the farm more than I used to because, well, Sharon's uh, gone now. And it's just it's just more convenient to go over and keep up on the maintenance. Mm-hmm. Like this last week, I was uh, re-staining, like sanding down and re-staining all the barn doors. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Chopping wood, all the, all the things that Jackie has on her honey-do list. Uh, which is not a melon, by the way. It is a melon, but it I is am also a, melon, it but, is also yeah, a exactly. list. Uh, so we're driving around. She loves when we get to the farm t- to get into one of the gators and do a, sh- a gator about the perimeter of the farm uh, because she likes to check in on. She-, she acts like her plants are her children. Right. So she checks in and she talks to them. Even though I'm sitting right next to her, she talks to the plants. She doesn't really talk to me so much. Except what? Do you see how pretty that is? Blurt that out every <laughs> 10 seconds. Uh, anyway, so and so we were driving by, driving around the perimeter, and our neighbor down on the lower corner is Mr. Garcia, and he has a, a patch of his own corn and different things. But there was this huge green patch in on the edge of his patch, and right by the fence line of our of our farm. And looked over, and I thought it was cherry tomatoes at first, and then I saw the little lantern quality of the fruit, sure. and it was all the it was a huge tomatillo plant. Just kind of, you know, unlike Jackie, who's very pristine in her farming, you know, she stakes up every tomato plant and because we get some wind and, and that sort of thing. But anyway, most of the locals over there just throw seed in the ground and then let things go. Right. It's a vine. So it would definitely go. Yeah. And it, it went. Yeah. And so 
Uh, I, it's hard for me to tell when a tomatillo is ready for picking. I don't think they ripen in the same way that we might think a tomato ripens. They, they get no. a little bit golden, uh, a little bit... Um, but they don't become soft. You don't wait till they're soft. No, and you don't need to either. No. So anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, so we have the tomatillos. Mr. Garcia gave us a bag of tomatillos. I didn't have to steal them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I made my favorite, which is a tomatillo, roasted tomatillo salsa out of it. Uh, which is in my very first cookbook. We used to serve this on our black bean soup down at Cafe Sport. Right. Slash Etta's when Etta's opened. Uh, and you simply take the tomatillos, your onions, your whatever peppers you want, depending on how hot you want it, jalapenos, serranos, just basillas, whatever. But I stay in the green pepper category okay. for this particular thing. You can use red. It's not going to be an issue. Uh, garlic, slice the onions, Put the whole thing on a sheet pan, toss with a little bit of oil, but put it on a sheet pan and roast it on high. And in that world, you just start to get the burnished edge or the brown boil or whatever it is that you're looking for on all those ingredients. Mm-hmm. Pop them in the blender when they're, when they're done there with some lime juice and hit blend. And yeah. you have the most beautiful little roasted tomatillo salsa. Sauce, sauce or salsa, depending on how you want to use it, right? right. If you're making chicken enchiladas, say, this is a beautiful sauce right. to go over your enchiladas. If you're making um, chicken tacos, it beca- you can make a little salsa out of right. it. So it's delicious. What I like about tomatillo is the fact that it's so, it doesn't have the sweetness of a tomato. Right, it brings is, acid to the table. It's so, so nice to be able to marry very justifying um, a roast pork or something very that has fat in it or mm-hmm. something that's rich. It's the perfect match. I mean, it's it's so... It's something that we don't do enough. I think most people don't do it enough in their cooking is to match something that's fatty with something that's very acidic or very, um, you know, a complete dif- completely opposite to that. Right. You know, so you can match and you can actually have a dish that's much more balanced in the end. So it's not all sweet or all fat or all mm-hmm. one side. So that's what I like to make. We use that very same concept at our, on our crab cakes uh, at Cafe Sport for years and years and years. We would make our crab cakes. And so often if you go to a restaurant and they have crab cakes, you'll see they come with an aioli or something. Right, right. Well, crab cakes typically are bound with mayonnaise. Right. Typical. Not, not everyone. Not mine, but yes. Not yours, but yeah. So I don't like making a mayonnaise sauce to go on a crab cake that's bound with mayonnaise. Correct. So, and so that would include tartar sauce, you know, th- anything like that. Right. So. Uh, for our crab cake cocktail sauce, and, you know, in a, in a store, if you go for cocktail sauce, you find the red cocktail with horseradish, and and it's made out of ketchup, essentially. Ketchup, yeah. yeah. So you just take raw tomatillos, and you mince them, or you can put them in a food processor. Right. You get more juice if you put them in a food processor, so you have to drain it a little bit. Correct. If you mince them, they stay a little bit. The cell structure stays together. Right. And then I just make cocktail sauce, toasted mustard seed, uh, a little green chili, fresh grated horseradish, lime juice, uh, and salt and pepper, and you're done. And you've got a green cocktail sauce that, with that rich kind of mayonnaise-based crab cake, right. Is really bright. It's a good match. It's a, it's a very good match. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice combination. It'd be, it'd be a nice uh, a slaw dressing if you were doing a slaw, you know, a nice uh, Julian cabbages and, or whatever vegetable you're using for your slaw and put that salsa in it. Uh-huh. That, would be, that would be a good, a good uh, match to a, a nice, like the fish taco, for example, or that you have at Eda's or whatever. That would be a good match to that too. Yeah. 
because that, that goes well with fried food or, you know, anything of that, even grilled food. You know, if you're grilling some salmon or whatever. Yeah. That'd be a very good match. And you can keep it on the Latino side of things, you know, adding yeah. cilantro or you can... Like by making it a green cocktail sauce, I kind of took those tomatillos and made them more Americana style. Right, so. right. Super fun. A great little thing to see. I was just floored by how lush his tomatillo plant was and how much fun it was to get a bag of them. So get to Pike Place Market. Don't be scared of tomatillos. Just have that, that paper wrapper on them. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's, one thing. I, that's one memory I have of Pike Place Market over the years, to go to Pike Place Market and buy tomatillos at Pike Place Market. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that's something I remember. And uh, especially when they have the farmers coming over this time of the year with the tents on the street, on yeah. the cobble street. There's always a farmer that has tomatillos. So. When we come back, it's tomato season. Charlie's Produce, cultivating fresh tomatoes on Cairo Radio. Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I love tomatillo, you love tomatillo, we love tomatillo, 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 tomatillo. Attack of the killer tomatoes, attack of the killer tomatoes. They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch. You know, if you go to any of your grocery stores around town, you'll often see a Charlie's Produce truck, uh, or any restaurant, for as a matter of fact, you'll often see a Charlie's Produce truck pull up sometime during your visit. Uh, they are all over the place. Charlie is a wonderful man, a great p- pillar of our community, would you say? Absolutely. every cause, and uh, we, we love being partners with them uh, for the segment on the show. We're going to talk tomatoes today. Uh, I'm Tom Douglas. I'm Thierry Roche, the chef in the hat. Chef, do you know how many types of tomatoes there are? I don't think anybody knows because I think there is more than anybody can count. I think you're right. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner. Tomato <laughs> dinner. Uh, <laughs> there's so, so many kinds of tomatoes to look for. Uh, in the off-season of tomatoes, I try not to buy tomatoes in the off-season, but if right. I do, I tend to buy cherry tomatoes because I think they have the best flavor. Correct. So That's the easiest one to mature. Especially in the cold season. <laughs> and they're often hothouse grown, and they are perfect. Even, even now, even now in Seattle, if you have a garden and you have only part exposed in the sun, the best tomato you're going to have right now are those yellow, yellow one, sun drop, or cherry tomatoes, small. Uh-huh. Those are going to be the best one right now. The big ones are still a few days away from yeah. you know, being ripe. And you're being, talking about western Washington now, yeah. because the western big ones Washington. on the east side of the mountains oh, they've already are made, happening. Yeah. They've already they're, made not, yeah, they're, they're not gone, but they are definitely in the middle of happening. Do you know, uh, if you want to store a tomato, you turn it upside down, so stem side down. Right. And if you want to ripen it you know, to a different ripeness level, you do the very same thing, but in a brown paper bag. Correct. Fold it up so that the gases don't escape from the ripening tomato. And if you add a banana to it, it goes very fast. One day. One day. Uh, the other thing about tomatoes is that you don't want to refrigerate them. Correct. Because Never. why? I don't really well, know why. Get, I just know it sucks when you take a tomato out of the fridge and you try to eat it. It's well, there's terrible. One, there's one reason why, terrible chef. flavor. Because it sucks. I mean, yeah. you don't need to be a scientist to know that. You don't want to refrigerate a tomato because it hinders the tomato flavor, coloration, and texture. See? The like texture is what bothers me. I, I don't know how you change the flavor so much because it is what it is it's well, tomatoes. like you can't change the sugar content you, you know any of that 
the flavor is changed by the fact that you don't have the um, when it's at room temp, you have more floral, more nose to it. Uh-huh. When it comes out of the fridge, it's dull. As right, can be. unless you bring it right back and up. And you do taste with your nose. But the first. texture is what I noticed the most about refrigerated tomatoes. Correct. Uh, there's Eastern Washington Growers. The season is uh, getting started. Ag development is uh, look for organic tomatoes. And uh, the ones that are supplying Charlie right now out of California, Durst Organic Growers and uh, Coke Farms out of, uh, if you look for those brands out of um, California. Those mm-hmm. are delicious. Um, Durst cherry tomatoes, mostly found in retailers like the Vashon Thriftway, Ken's Market, Frank's in the Market, Met Markets, Red Barn in Puyallup, Harbor Greens Markets, and the Coke Farm Heirlooms and cherry tomatoes are at Hagen's, QFC's, Ken's Market, Whole Foods, Central Co-op, as well as a lot of local restaurants in the region, like ours. You Correct. know, uh, for the last 15 years, we've been growing our own tomatoes this time of year, but this year, we're not. So we're, at, we're out in the marketplace buying Charlie's heirloom tomatoes. You know, some are, you know, they come in all colors and all sizes, right? And they're all tomatoes, though, and they have such distinct, different characteristics about oh, them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think the tenderest are the yellow one. When you get a whole heirloom yellow tomato, those are the most tender one. Uh-huh. The brown one, reddish one, are usually the hardest, toughest one. So it's nice when you do a salad to have a combination of the two. Because now you have a different texture, but you also have a different flavor. Because they do have different flavor. It's amazing to me. But it is an interesting tomato. It's very interesting because if you take 10 different tomatoes, you will have 10 different texture and flavor. I had a tomato salad at Serious Pie out of Totem Lake the other night uh, coming back from the farm. And they had made a homemade buttermilk ricotta. Mm -hmm. It was such a delicious treat to have on top of the tomatoes. Just sliced tomatoes. Absolutely. Or wedged or however. And then... This is the time when you really want to use your best olive oil, right? When you're absolutely you're not cooking the tomatoes, you're not cooking the dressing, anything. Now's the time to get out that thirty dollar a pint or quart olive oil that has great fruitiness to it, and just be generous. This go for it. And then on top of that, now's the time to break out your fancy salt. Absolutely, I'm in love with Finishing. the Malden, the Malden Flake smoked salt. My wife doesn't care for it. I do. Uh, either I like, one I like works. I like the Maldon, but no, I don't do the smoke. You don't either. do the smoked one, yeah. To me, I just it's like a burst of flavor when you, uh, when you get it on top of your tomato, and it really brings out that beautiful tomato flavor right. from the tomato itself. So, Yeah, and the tomato, right now, to do a cold, we were talking about not turning the stove on. You know, when it, next week it's supposed to be in the 90s here. We're gonna, this is when we're going to be like, oh, my God, it's too hot. Um, you know, those are the perfect day to take tomatoes and make a nice sauce cold sauce for your fish for your you're going to be grilling barbecue outside turn on the barbecue grill a piece of fish and throw in that nice tomato sauce and you've been dicing the tomato fresh basil because you get tons of that in the garden a little salt and olive oil and then you just put that you leave that on the counter for about an hour before you do your fish and it's going to start rendering all the liquid from the tomato you're going to have all that very juicy Sauce And if it's too much juice, you can keep some of that juice and use that with a little bit of Dijon mustard and make a dressing for something else or for that dish as well. Mm-hmm. So it's many, many use out of a tomato. And you can do the same thing on fresh pasta. Same thing on fresh pasta. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's the perfect time of year to just do this cold tomato sauce. So. And you can do the same thing in your blender. Uh, make a little fresh tomato yeah. gazpacho, uh, which I'm not a, the biggest fan of 
what we I consider typical gazpacho that's not pureed. Right. It's chunky and it's just like mm, texturally, it's just not for me. And I, I don't usually have problems with textures, but I love that smooth, creamy nature of fresh uh, pureed uh, tomatoes that have sure. some herbs in there that kind of bloom uh, as you puree them. You know, yeah. you yeah. think about when you think about seeds and toasted. Uh, like fennel seed, right. when you crush it, it blooms in its in its aroma. Same thing with uh, tarragon or rosemary. When you when you break it down, it Absolutely. really blooms its flavor. And it's a good time to use your good olive oil and a good amount of it. You know, you blend that together, mm-hmm. it will be in, uh, emulsified into your tomato su- soup or sauce or gazpacho, and that will bring a beautiful flavor added to your tomato. You put make some little bread crustini and, uh, or crouton. And then put that on top of your soup and go at it. Well, you've been to uh, you've been to Spain a few times. Uh, Penam Tomquet, right? That yeah. toasted baguette with just a fresh uh, clove of garlic rubbed over it on the toasted edge, which so it just takes a little bit of the garlic off of the clove, and then a fresh tomato rubbed right over top. Mm. And uh, it is just simple magic. and as good as it gets. It's magic. We no. sit in a tapa tapas bar in. Barcelona yep. or on the Ramblas or, sure. or wherever you happen to be in Spain, that is something you'll get every time. Yep. And it's not always great. Just like anywhere. Just they have, like the tomato. Yeah, not it's, great. it's only as good as the tomato is right. and as the bread is, right? So. And a little piece of uh, prosciutto right on top of that. Uh, not prosciutto, um, the, the Spanish one. The chorizo or the serrano? No, the serrano ham. Yeah. yeah. All right. If you're not hungry by now, I don't know when you will be. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, you and I have an idol here in, uh, in our world. In the culinary uh, world. Yeah, who uh, we lost, uh, what, maybe 10 years ago? Maybe 15 years ago now? <laughs> yes. Somewhere like that. Things uh, seems to be always like 10 or 20. Yeah. So, so uh, we're going to talk a little Julia Child stories when we come back here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. makes a great chef? Well, training and technique, of course, plus a great love of food, a generous personality, and the ability to invent hot chocolate truffles. Meltingly addictive hot chocolate truffles. Balls of creamy chocolate filling that are rolled in fresh crumbs. Let's have another piece. As long as the dough is relaxed, it's ready to roll. Ready to roll. Let's have another piece. All in a ball. Ready to roll. Ready to roll. Freshness is essential. Hello, hello, hello. We're back here in the kitchens, the lovely kitchens at the Hot Stove Society Show. Uh, we are in the middle of downtown Seattle at the Hotel Andra. Is uh, within our grasp right here? In the Tom, Tom Douglas neighborhood, we call it. Julia Stories. Uh, we, we had teased that. Uh, I don't want to make more out of our friendship than what we had. Uh, we had a professional friendship like, sure. like Julia's had with thousands of people. And of that's course. how I'm sure she felt about me. Uh, but... It wasn't like I went to her house and hung out, you know. Right. But I was moved of the first time that I made it to Washington, D.C., to the Smithsonian, and to see that they had taken her whole kitchen from Cambridge, Mass., and set it up down at the Smithsonian. It's still there. And I was so touched by all, you know, they had all her videos playing, and they have, you know, all her kitchen tools and everything, just like Paul, her husband, had outlined on the pegboard where everything goes. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, 
that's uh, all there, and it just was so heartwarming to see this person that I knew uh, and her being celebrated in such an organic way right. that if you ever get a chance to get to D.C., uh, go check out her kitchen at, at the Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite um, pictures of all time of Julia in action was at the beginning when she did a show, there was about three, four people that were laying down on the ground next to her to hand her the goods. Because you have to remember, when she started, it was a big pioneering story. And she was doing a cooking show. And there was a husband and a, another couple of people laying on the ground that you couldn't see. Behind obviously. the counter, like if behind they were the right counter, here. Like right here. This, and they would hand her like she'd be, oh, and then you talk to you. <laughs> it was, I have that picture, by the way. You do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a gorgeous picture. And it's very, to me, it's very endearing to talking about, like anybody else's life story, this is the beginning, you know, and then to be what it became and, you know, what a great success story and what an incredible woman carrying such an important message with her and such a, you know, she did such an incredible road. She paved a road that was, I mean, today there is, you know, millions of women on the, doing cooking shows and, you know, highly respected. But back then... It was mostly chefs. There were men in the kitchen. You know, you know was- our friend Nathan Mirvold has become sure. famous for cutting kitchen appliances in half right. so you can see the guts. Right. Her, you know, she did it long before he ever did. <laughs> she had, you know, like her refrigerator and her oven. It yeah. was open in the back so that the producers could hand right. her stuff and put stuff into her <laughs> oven that she could then reach in and pull out. This so- is funny. Those are great stories to look at yeah. the behind the scene. It's just amazing yeah. how they pull this off together. You know, and of course, then it became a bigger production where she didn't have to do so that. So I've seen pictures of you with Julia. What did, sure. uh, how did you, what was the uh, occasion um, one, of your visit? Night, I think it's in 1995. I donated a dinner for 16 in the private room at Rovers. No wonder why you didn't with, make any money. <laughs> with, it was to benefit the uh, uh, Julia Foundation. Uh, the, Julia was the chair of the... Oh. AIWF. Thank you. And uh, I donated a dinner for 16 at Rovers with Nathan and Julia. Mm-hmm. It sold out in Washington, D.C. via uh, an auction for about 40 grand. And the guy who bought it, allegedly I was told the story because I wasn't there, but they, I was told there was two ladies that were fighting at 20,000. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly one guy went 40,000. and Took care of that. He took care of that. Mm-hmm. Took them out of the competition and bought the thing. Oh, yeah, that's the picture right there. Mm. How did you get that? Jeez. Mm. Oh, the internet. It's an amazing place. Anyway, um, that was before I had a hat. That's I know. You still had hair. Even. That's when I had hair. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it was a very interesting evening. And, and Julia is, no matter what you were, I mean, at least for me, I was always comfortable with her. I never felt threatened or anything. I mean, on the inside, there was butterfly because I'm cooking for this lady, as in the queen of. And, of course, it is extremely... You know, you can't help going, I better not screw this up because uh, there's only one try and better not mess this up. But it must be a little interesting. Here you are, a, a, a real French chef, yeah, uh, clinically trained, I'll say, in your apprenticeship. Right. And here's Julia, who went to Le, Le Cordon Bleu at age, what, 45 or something? Right, right. And is back here in the States getting famous cooking French food. Must have been a funny, you had some thoughts about that or not? I was extremely respectful of her. To me, I was respectful of what she was doing. She's, she like helped you, make French like food said, famous. Yeah. She started in a, in a cooking school at 45, and then she comes to America and tries to teach American how to cook French food. I'm like, this is much bigger than anything I've ever thought of. Mm. 
I mean, I never pretend I would teach anybody how to cook, first of all. And second of all, not just that, but on national TV, like trying to teach a whole country how to make the bridge between what we call fancy French food and what we know how to cook at home. Mm -hmm. To me, that was a serious endeavor. And and I had the utmost respect right off the bat. As soon as I knew about Julia Child, I was like, oh, my God, this is like incredible. I mean, who does that? Who takes? And she was so nonchalant about the whole thing. I was like... I mean, she showed nonchalant. I'm sure there was moments where she was very nervous, but um, she was just an incredible lady. She was really, really, I mean, somebody, when I was around her, I never felt nervous, like I said, as a person. Obviously, when you I was, must have felt a little nervous. She well, was. When I was back in the she kitchen. Was six I was foot like two, and chef, you're about five foot two. So, no, but that's no, yeah, I know. But <laughs> it felt like I was visiting grandma, but uh, yeah. a very different, you know, in my field. You I'm know, glad you didn't say that to her. No, of course not. <laughs> I'm respectful, but she could be my grandma. I had a couple of personal interactions with many over the years, but a couple of ones that really kind of stick out for me are two you've heard before. One is. Uh, she was down signing books at Sir Latab, and I invited her up for lunch at Etta's. And, of course, I, I've known that she loves crabs, so I had this beautiful, plump Dungeness crab picked out for her. It was live as could be, just, and I cooked it all up and served it to her warm, and I had made this beautiful, clarified lemon verbena butter for her to dip her crab into. And we were busy. It was summertime. We were busy, and... Finally, I went over to the table and said, hey, Julia, how's it going? And she kind of looked around and looked at me and did that index finger, like, come closer, come closer. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, my God. Here we go. What's wrong with the crab? And uh, so the, the only thing she whispered to me was, Tom, do you have any Hellman's? So what she really wanted to dip her crab into was Hellman's mayonnaise. And not a fancy, you know, not a fancy homemade mayonnaise. So I ran to the grocery store in the Pike Place Market and I, Came back. Of course, we had best food, same thing, yeah. and got her some mayonnaise for the rest of her crab. She had finished half of it already. She ate crab <coughs> like a fiend, man. She was, she was, she knew how. Put the bib on and she went with gusto. She had, she didn't leave one bit of crab. And then the second story I remember, I was doing a dinner for her with uh, the Shirley Collins who owned Sir Latab uh-huh. and a, a few other people in the private room at Cafe Sport, which was before Etta's in the right, same right. space. We had a beautiful glassed-in private room. You must have been nervous like back then. Of course. And I wasn't actually cooking. I was sitting at the table. I wasn't oh, going to miss wow. a chance to have dinner with Julia. You more nervous. Yeah. And so uh, the team's cooking. They're super nervous. So here we are, and the center is Julia and Paul, her husband, Paul, who was, I would say, probably 10 years older than her and very frail at that point. And so we're sitting there having a, this multi-course, delicious little dinner, with maybe 15 of us, Paul starts nodding off at the table. He starts falling asleep, and his head keeps dropping, and his food is in there. I keep thinking his head's going to drop into his plate of food. And Julia just kind of nudges him, and he kind of perks up. He didn't wake up. He just kind of moved so that he wasn't going to fall anymore. She looked around the table and kind of read the room. We were all looking at Paul, and she says, let's not wake him. And then she takes his plate, and she eats his whole dinner along with hers. Now, that's class. That's very classy. That's class. That's Let's class. not wake him. I yeah. don't know that I could have done that, but yes, that's class. Yeah. Super sweet. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it was, I thought, typical of her, right. of making the best of every situation. Extremely, uh, extremely gentle and very well aware. 
extremely intelligent and yeah, she was probably very kind. Eighty. Uh, I mean, I have no idea at the top of my head, but I would guess in mid eighties at that point. So, oh no, woman, no, not quite. Uh, I bet there's somewhere eighty, eighty-five, something like that. Next up, it's uh, food for thought, tasty trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. I forgot to mention who's going to win our prize. If you send me a picture at hotstove yeah. at tomdouglas.com. Send me a picture of your favorite Julia Child book cookbook in your collection with your face in it. You know what I mean? A picture of you right, and your right, favorite right. Julia Child cookbook. We're going to pick a winner to come for free to the sold-out Julia Child birthday promenade. So here once at the again, hot the address is... Hotstove yeah. at tomdouglas.com. Send me a picture with your favorite Julia Child cookbook and uh, we will pick a winner out of that group to come and join us on August the 15th here at the Hot Stove for the birthday promenade of Julia Child. All right. Camera Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. This is what good cooking is all about. This is what good cooking is all about. Like sour cream cheese fillet and the sweet topping. All on that crisp pastry. Mm. Freshness is essential. That makes all the difference. All the difference. I like to smell something cooking. Makes me feel it. Bring on the roasted potatoes. Bring on the All right, it's time for our food for thought tasty trivia. Brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. Uh, they are a selection of spice rubs that we make out at our warehouse in Ballard. Also, we have sauces and mustard and all sorts of deliciousness that help your pantry beam with deliciousness. Right now, it tastes beautiful. The uh, Tokyo rub on my chicken that was grilled outside on the barbecue was wonderful. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Nice little... You know, where our friends in Maui are really suffering right now. In, yes. in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a, a second uh, Puaco chicken pop-up out at the warehouse to raise some money for the Red Cross in, in the Maui and especially in Lahaina, which I was looking at the pictures this morning. Oh, oh my God. My God. It's yeah. crazy. It's a big, tragic. Big, big love and thoughts sending to Maui right now. It's yeah. um, anything we can do to help. Please let us know. Uh, all right. So uh, hopefully I'll see some of you all down on the 18th at Sunset Supper in the market. I know the tickets are sold out, but we'll be down there making our sausages. We're going to do a Julia Child-themed Oh, trivia challenge today and i remember our contest is if you send me a picture to hot stove at tomdouglas.com a picture of you and your favorite julia child cookbook you can't just send me a picture of a book it has to be you and your book so i know you actually own it or went to a bookstore to look at it uh and uh, we will put your name in the hat chef's hat and uh, we will pull out the winners of two tickets for the August 15th Julia Child Promenade here at the Hot Stove. Chef? Five questions, and the best of gets three rubs to pick out of the shop. For free? Right here. They don't have to pay. They get three free rubs for, right. for uh, participating oh, for free, yes. Today. I forgot to mention Except for, for Danae. So who do we have at this microphone? <laughs> Jim. Joe? Jim. 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 Hi, Jim. Welcome. Uh, Jim is there. He's got an ace in the hole. His... his uh, Yes. Significant other is sitting right behind him. Is going to feed him answers. And she pushed chef right and to Danae the right. is one of the chefs here at the hot stove. She's uh, sitting in because she loves Julia Child. Okay, <laughs> chef. Uh, Julia trivia. These are short and sweet. Go ahead. Where was Julia Child born? Oh, that's a very good question. Do I know the answer to that? It's on the West Coast. Was I'm going to say uh, close to Washington D.C. over there. 
On the West Coast, Chef. Oh, she's That's right near Washington, D.C. <laughs> well, then I'm wrong. I'm, uh, yes, you're wrong. I'm going to say California. Pasadena, California. There you go. That I did not know. When Julia was a teenager, she traveled to Tijuana on a family vacation and tried what new trendy dish at the time? Uh, I'm going to say taco. Just a nice little taco. She had a nice little taco out of a truck in Mexico, and that was a big discovery, right? And over oh, two. She tried... Uh, Caesar salad at Caesar Cardini's restaurant. Oh wow! Which this is, is where a long the Caesar time ago. salad came from. Yeah. Ooh, I was only going back. I that think far. tacos happened a little bit before that. Yes, no, yeah. of course. Uh, where did Julia attend college? And the little hints here are: Sylvia Plath, Nancy Reagan, and Gloria Steinem are also alumni. So it's got to be in California. I'm hopeless. Okay, never mind. Smith College. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't Jones College. It was no, Smith it wasn't. College. So what far, branch of you're doing I'm great? I'm glad so you far. said it was great I'm and glad easy. Glad that you guys are such personal friends. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> branch of service did Julia join during World War II? Uh, the spy, the spy side of <laughs> spy. of life. She was she was uh, working in the army for for the U.S. Army during World War II, uh, translating messages and doing such thing in the office. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you that because it was the OSS, the Correct. precursor to the CIA, Office oh. of Strategic Services. And your last question, Chef, you're one for four so far. During World War II, Julia helped cook up an invention that is still in use today. And the hint is I sent out a newsletter about the Julia birthday party here, and I talked about it in my newsletter. I didn't get the newsletter. Uh, what is it? What's her invention? I'm sure I've heard this before. Still in use today. You're not going to get there, Chef. No. Hate to break it to you. What is it? Julia invented a odiferous, an odorous shark repellent that they put on the floating bombs that were intended to blow up U- German YouTube boats. What? But the sharks kept blowing themselves up. <laughs> so she invented a shark repellent to. Uh, to oh, I'm so save tired the bombs of the, for their. I'm so tired of the shark fin soup. <laughs> That's why shark fin soup was invented. That's all that was left of the sharks. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it was. You had no idea. Okay, Jim. After that stunning display of Julia Jim, trivia. I'm sure you don't feel frightened anymore. Oh. Huh? One out of five, you should do better than that. We're counting on you. Here we go. France wasn't the first country that sparked Julia's love for food. What country was? Spain. Close. China. <laughs> Oh, that was very- <laughs> that was a shot, Jim. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. That was a shot. That was very close. Here's an easy one for you, Jim. What cooking school in Paris did Julia attend? Chef Cordon Bleu. Yes. yes. Nice job. Winner, winner. Julia dinner. What did Julia cook on her first TV appearance before she had her own show? It was on PBS and it was on a hot plate. Uh, it's that uh, meat and uh, pastry wrapper. Uh, an omelet. It's in an egg wrapper. Meat and <laughs> an egg wrapper. I like the meat. I like <laughs> the meat. The meat and the crepe is good, yeah. What was the uh, name of Julia's first show on television, on PBS? Cooking with Julia. Close. I'm going to give it to you. The French Chef. <laughs> And since you're so good about Julia's show, what <laughs> did Julia cook on episode one of her cooking show? The very first show. An omelet. <laughs> Funny, but wrong. <laughs> Boeuf bourguignon. Boeuf bourguignon. Correct. 
So, Jim, you still win some rubs, but you're a bit of a loser today. <laughs> no, but Jim, so what's funny is you were mocking me at one. <laughs> and you still had one. <laughs> okay, Danae, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's nervous Danae, now. Now you feel really good, right? No. All you have to do I, I knew his answers, but I'm sure I don't know mine. All you, all you have to do is beat one. What was Julia's sign-off at the end of every show? She also, if you ever had a book signed by her, she signed it in her books, too. Bon appetit. Very good. Bravo. One, one for one. Uh, during the filming of Baking with Julia, uh, she used 753 pounds of what favorite ingredient? Apples. Butter. Oh. <laughs> she loved her butter, didn't she? Oh, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yes. Yeah. What's, what's special about Julia's home kitchen? Don't know? No. She had uh, all of her kitchen countertops designed at 38 inches so oh, that yes. they were tall enough for Normally her. Normally it's 32. Yeah. Right. Six inch taller. Here's one you should get if you've been listening to our show. <laughs> uh, to what institution did Julia donate her Cambridge, Massachusetts kitchen? I don't know. I was cooking. Oh, that's oh. a lame excuse. The Smithsonian. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You even heard that in the back here. And this is your last question here. In 1993, Julia Child was the first woman to be inducted into what organization? You're not going to know this. Sherry, uh, Terry made, uh, I, I talked about Le- it when uh, Terry was talking earlier. A-I-W-F. The American Institute of Wine and Food. Oh, She okay. was the first chair. She was actually the chair for, yeah, for a bit. What? Right when they started, they had to have her. Well, thank you, Danae, for... One. Uh, We all did one. <laughs> this, is, this is what's called easy on the Thank show. you, Jim. Have fun uh, shopping for your three free rubs in the gift shop after the show. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Co. Or buy a ticket to join us in the studio at HotStoveSociety.com. The show is produced by my whole team here at Tom Douglas, including Sean McFadden, our technical director. And it's edited by Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre at the Cairo Studios. Uh, let's see. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. And happy birthday, Julia. Happy birthday. Real test of a good chef is a perfectly roasted chicken. The lemons, the garlic, the rosemary, butter free, butter free, rosemary, rosemary, rosemary.